Shalom. We'd like to welcome you to the Torah to Basura class for Parsha Bami Bar. Tonight we'll be in the fifth Aliyah of Parsha Bami Bar. Uh, Bami Bar chapter 3, verses 14 through 39. So, yeah, it's a pretty hefty chunk. And then our Basura portion will come from Matit Yahu chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. So I'll begin with the opening bracha, and then we will get underway with the readings. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, Noten haTorah. Amen. Adonai spoke to Moshe in the Sinai desert, saying, Count the children of Levi according to their father's house, according to their families. Count all males from the age of one month and upward. So Moshe counted them according to Adonai's word, just as he was commanded. These were the names of Levi's sons, Gershon, Kohath, and Morari, which Kohath, by the way, is Kehat, sometimes pronounced. Continuing, it says the names of the sons of Gershon, according to their families, were Levni, Shimiel, and the sons of Kohat, uh, according to their families, were Amram, Itzar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the sons of Merari, according to their families, were Mali and Mushi, these are the families of Levi, according to their father's houses. For Gershon, the Levnite family and the Shimeite family, these are the Gershonite families. Their psalm was made according to the number of males from the age of one month and upward. The tally amounted to 7,500. The Gershonite families shall camp behind the Mishkan to the west. The prince of the father's house of the Gershonites is Eliasaf, or Eliasaf, the son of Lael. The charge of the sons of Gershon in the tent of meeting included the Mishkan, the tent, its cover, and the screen for the entrance to the tent of meeting. The hangings of the courtyard on the screen, or the hangings of the courtyard, the screen and the entrance to the courtyard, which is around the Mishkan and the altar, its ropes as well, as all the, as all the work involved. For Kohat, the Amrite family, the Itzarite family, and the Hebronite family, and the Uzielite family, these are the families of Kohat. The number of all males from the age of one month and upward amounted to 8,600, the keepers of the charge of the holy. The families of the sons of Kohat shall camp to the south side of the Mishkan. The prince of the father's house of the Kohite families is Elizaphan, the son of Uziel. Their charge included the ark, the table, the menorah, the altars, and the holy utensils, with which they would minister and the screen and all the work involved. The prince over the princes of the Leviim shall be Eliezer, son of Aharon the Kohen. 
the appointment of all the keepers of the charge of the holy. For Morari, the Machlite family, and the Mushite family, these are the families of Morari. Their tally, according to the number of males from the age of one month and upward, was 6,200. The prince of the father's house of the Morarite families is Zuriel, the son of Abihel. They shall camp to the north side of the Mishkan. The appointment of the charge of the sons of Morari included the planks of the Mishkan, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets, all its utensils, and all the work involved. Also the pillars of the surrounding courtyard, their sockets, their stakes, and their ropes, camping in front of the Mishkan, in front of the tent of meeting to the east, were Moshe, Aaron, and his sons. The keepers of the charge of the sanctuary, as a trust for the children of Israel, any outsider who approaches shall be put to death. The psalm of the male Levites, according to their families, from the age of one month and upward, counted by Moshe and Aharon, according to the word of Adonai, was 22,000. That is the end of our fifth Aliyah. So now we will transition to the Besor portion from Matityahu chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Then the Spirit led Yeshua up into the wilderness and tempted by the adversary. After Yeshua had fasted 40 days and nights, he was hungry. The, the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, order these stones to become bread. But he answered, The Tanakh says, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of Adonai. Then the adversary took him to the holy city, set him up on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Jump, for the Tanakh says, he will order his angels to, to be responsible for you. They will support you with their hands so that you will not hurt your feet, only stones. You should reply to him, but it also says, Do not put out an eye your God to the test. Once more the adversary took him up to the summit of the high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory, said, and said to him, All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Away with you, Satan, Yeshua told him, for the Tanakh says, Then the adversary then the adversary let him alone, and angels came and took care of him. <coughs> when Yeshua heard the that Yochanan had been put in the prison, he returned to the Galal, but he left Nazareth and came to live in the Kefar Nakam, a lake short town near the Boundary between Z, Velu, and Naphtali. This happened in order to fulfill that what Yeshua, Yeshua, the prophet had said to him. Land of Z, Yulin, land of Naphtali, toward the toward the lake beyond Jordan, Galal of Goyim, the. People living in darkness have seen a great light upon those living in the region. In the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time on, Yeshua began proclaiming, Turn from your sins to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Amen. Amen. That will conclude our 
Besora and um, Ali are reading. So the floor is now open for commentary. I sent up the upper room for y'all. Yeah, we're supposed to be down here tonight. Oh, yeah. The tourists, is all right, so uh, just a couple of quick heads up uh, while we have a minute uh, on, I don't know if everybody's heard, but for the Shabbat, that's what I dropped. What about? So uh, we have the upper room that's going to be used for that, which is why we're not up there tonight. Uh, there was plans, I guess, for the room to be otherwise so uh, but yeah everybody will be up there for the Shavuot study okay. so we'll probably do Havdalah downstairs in the Haber Hall or something yeah, that's the plan. and then we'll go up there so, so yeah so Bezrat Hashem we have a wind blow through and people can speak in tongues and stuff that'd be cool I would love to hear a story in French true French <laughs> yes, yes, so what are you yes. saying <laughs> Are you talking about any particular person? No, 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 not any <clears throat> names. <clears throat> Captain Israel. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, we're good. But he wears glasses and he's yeah. got a beard with a little gray in it. Pretty violent. <laughs> he's got a restraining order against him. <laughs> not to mention anything. It's called the Yaliya Day. Yeah. Used to be a woman. <laughs> Still is, actually. Shalom. Well, officially, shalom to everyone that I did not get to say shalom to, shalom. because shalom. it was like in the middle of reading. But uh, yeah, so the fifth aliyah is a very hefty section of reading, <laughs> and so is the basura. There's your boyfriend. No longer rock for this, but I'd like to put this together. Hey, go in the car. What should I show? Everybody. <laughs> this is a turned up month. This is the month of two Mashiachs. Shalom Aleichem. Savan? Mm-hmm. The twins, Gemini. Okay. Okay. So interesting. Yeah. At least that's what I'm told. I'm not really a month guy. Have you done anything on that yet? I didn't see anything about the months. Okay. I have the book. I'm trusting what Mikael said because because it's his tour portion this week. So. All right, so, well, I want to start off by just commenting on the Basor portion. Um, just, I love the fact that Yeshua quotes Debarim. Uh, we were talking in Yeshiva, um, I think it was last week, about how whenever Yeshua uh, taught Torah, he usually quoted from Debarim. And we were making the connection that Debarim is the only sefer of Torah that Moshe spoke from his own mouth, but the commentary on that is that the Shekinah actually spoke through his mouth. Can I can I tag on that? Yes. So I was listening to a, a rabbi. His name is Alon True. And he said that that in in uh, in Parsha Yitro where where he talked about appointing the judges. Mm-hmm. That. You know, so the Zoh, I guess the Zohar goes into talking about you know how he was able to do that, and he said his words were that the Shekinah got dressed into Moshe Whoa. to show him who would who would be the judges. <laughs> so if you can imagine that, something like that happened. Okay. <laughs> so, 
Well, with that also being added to the mix, uh, go figure that Yeshua would quote Devarim. Because he's kind of like, you know, really, if you think about what we saw in the Torah, you know, that those uh, foreshadowings, those uh, types, you know, like Yeshua is like the actualization of that. Mm-hmm. So... I want to get into the green book actually on these Tehillim passages because Tehillim 91 is the first up out of the gate about casting yourself down and let the angels come save you. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see what they got on this. So we got Tehillim 91 uh, verses 11 and 12. So apparently there is no commentary on verse 11, but we will read both verses. It says, For he will instruct his angels in your behalf to guard you in all your ways. They will carry you upon their hands, lest you hit your foot on a rock. You will tread upon the lion and the viper, and you will trample upon the young lion and the serpent. Which is cool because if you read that first verse, be verbatim, be ivrit, this is literally what we sing after the Shalom Aleichem song on Arab Shabbat. We say, Ki melakav lach lishmareka bekol darkeka. So, that's uh, verse 11. And then, uh, so commentary says, They will carry you up on their hands unless you hit your foot on a rock. Which I believe, yep, that's what the adversary says in verse 6 of our Basora. Commentary says, carried on the hands of angels is meant metaphorically to describe the great protection that the pious one will enjoy. According to the Targum, the angels will carry you lest you stumble upon the Yetzahara, which is compared to a stone. So that just makes me go back to the first thing the adversary says, turn these stones into bread. Because if the Yetzahara is, is likened to a stone, you know, and it's just like, so bread is Torah, you know, and so turn your, turn your Yetzahara into Torah for you and, and partake of it, basically. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to feast on your Yetzirah. So you see how much the enemy is twisting this uh, passage there to mean the exact opposite of what, what it means. That yeah. That passage is about overcoming your evil inclination. Wow. He's using it about succumbing to it in this area where he's being tempted so uh, right. pointedly. Is it a pure K of boat drop? Or I think Rabbi dropped it last week too, but uh, he was talking about if you're uh, seemingly feeling like you're overpowered by your Yetzirah, drag him to the, the house of study and let the Torah, which is a stone, smash to pieces the stone, which is called the Yetzirah. So, it's kind of got that connotation to it where it seems like, oh yeah, this is a great thing. You know, if you can just take these stones real quick and like destroy your Yetzirah by eating it. 
for those of you who have read the Legends of the Jews drop uh, about eating the Yetzirah, mm. yeah, you don't want to do that. Don't um, do there's that. a whole drop in there about Adam and Hava having to uh, quote unquote babysit Hasatan's child, and they ended up eating it. Yeah. And because apparently they yeah. were, he was making a like a a horrid noise. And anyways, yeah, it's not. Yeah, true. so it's uh that's uh, escalated very quickly as far as just going right into that because legends let you uh, kind of read into it. But for lack of a better terms, they ingested the Yetzirah, and so this is the uh, the defilement that we're actually davening about when we count the Omer. So if you look at the Hebrew, it's Zuhamatam, which is from Zohama, and that's the the serpent, uh, his the venom or like his essence of the Yetzer. So so that has to get out, right? We don't need that. And that's what we're that's what we're like kind of born into sin, the venom of the serpent. Yep. And that's why no matter how righteous we are. How much Torah we observe, we're still gonna die. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> of that. So, all right. So the next one uh, doesn't look like there are any more Tehillim passages that are dropped here. Um, but if you look at the Devarim passages, they all basically center around the Shema. So when you really look at, you know, the best tool against any kind of temptation, any kind of desire that draws you away from Hashem, if you really just study the Shema, if you recite that, you know, one of the beautiful things that Zakin Rayford has dropped in his class for the Avoda uh, series has been, if the Yetahara comes at you, you know, starts stirring up your thoughts, stirring up your, your emotions or whatever, um, start quoting scripture. You know, and uh, he, he did a really cool thing. I don't know if y'all have seen the video, but he chose two people to be like Mr. and Mrs. Yetzahara. Mm -hmm. And they randomly come up while he's teaching his class and they start talking to him, try to get him off task. And he's just like, no, 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 no. You know, and the more he's like, no, I'm not going to not going to engage. I'm not going to talk to you. The more they like ramp it up, they're like, "Aren't you hungry? Didn't? You, aren't you upset that they ran out of fries today? Like, don't you want like you want food right now? You want to stop your class?" And he's like, "Father, I thank you in the name of Yeshua Hamashiach that you are my nourishment." You know, and like he just goes into this whole thing, and then they keep going, and he starts quoting scripture, and uh, he has the homework right now is Tehillim one nineteen, so he's got like parts of Tehillim 119 and he'll just like uh, recite and then he's got Tehillim 19 you know um, where we say uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight you know and that and so and then they just they go away they go sit down <laughs> who is that? this is Zagan Rayford oh, this is what he's doing hey. in his class right now yeah that's so but yeah I just uh I think that's really encouraging, you know, because all my religious life, so to speak, growing up, I never really uh, got any practical ways of, you know, how do you really battle against, like, the root of your thoughts? Like, go to the source. Don't just, like, fight the thought. Like, I'm struggling with, you know, gluttony right now. Like, I really want to just eat this whole thing. It's like, 
Why, where does that even come from? I see your hand. Well, because the, the thought's not even the problem. It's the it's, it's where it leads you. Mm. you know, if you can cut it, like the the thoughts are, are in a roundabout way of the test itself. Wow. Like the thought comes and then it goes, but then if it leads you, you know, elsewhere, then that's that's when it becomes like the same. You know? Yeah. That's where uh, I got a little bird. It's, it's kind of a, uh, speaks about proactive and reactive from Zor. Mm -hmm. How to stay in the proactive, mm -hmm. which means to, to when something happens to stop and get the guidance. Basically, that's sort of what Yeshua did. He was tempted, but he stayed in the proactive instead of reacting. Mm. In the reactive. Yeah. Well, I did a, I did like this much, and that's like not even a lot. That's like less than an olive-sized portion of uh, ninjutsu training. When I was like 21-ish, so this is almost a decade ago, maybe. Ninja stars. Yeah, I didn't get ninja stars, <laughs> but I did get size. I got two pair of size, and two, um, so four altogether. Yeah, I got four size. So, um, but anyway, I was like wanting to do like this whole thing. I wanted to get the bow staff. I wanted to get the sword. And so I got the plastic sword because that comes with the suit. And they're like, you're not ready for a real sword yet. I'm like, okay. But um, I bring all this up to say is because in, in ninjutsu, you don't, you don't go on defense. You go on offense. Even your defense is an offense. So if someone tries to punch you, you don't just block it. You actually like... Stop the momentum and punch their hand away, and then you go into like more, like offensive maneuvers. Which, to me, when I first learned that, I was just kind of like, "Wow!" So I'm not gonna learn how to block kicks. I'm not gonna learn how to block punches. Like I'm gonna use their momentum against them, and I'm going to attack them at the same time. So that was the the little bit I learned. I'm pretty sure there's way more than that. But uh, when it comes to thinking about how we go on the offensive, you know, when we're tempted, uh, just like Yeshua did. And the beautiful thing about verse 15, talking about to fulfill the prophecy from Yeshayahu about those who are in darkness have seen a great light. Uh, Rabbi just did this on the Aliyah day. Oh, man, was this? I think it was last week. I'm pretty sure. But talking about how it's the, the sages, you know, who are, they're considered to be like in the dark because they're toiling in Torah and they're bringing forth insight after insight. And it's like when you're working through, uh, Hashem will shine a great light on you to uh, kind of like reward you, so to speak, for your studies. And so the fact that these people here were in great darkness doesn't necessarily mean that they were like illiterate or, you know, things like that. So that was uh, Aliyah Day last week, one of those. But yeah, it's hard to keep track of him because it's just like he just goes through so much. And you're just like, man, I heard him say it. I know I did. <laughs> just don't know what day. Uh, 
then the the obvious connection to through the Basora passage, um, just kind of my last little input I want to give here, is when we look at verse one, it says Mashiach Yeshua was led into the wilderness by the Ruach HaKodesh to undergo uh, nisyonot, like temptations or trials, testings, which again, this ties to the test of Abraham because everything that Hashem took Abraham through, those were tests. And so there were 10 of them and we failed all 10 of ours. He passed all 10 of his, you know, but this all happens in the proverbial wilderness. And so when you think about where we're headed, because Shavuot, like the whole thing about Parsha Bami Bar, is to take you into Shavuot. You have to learn about what is it, why did we come out into the wilderness? Why was the Torah given into the wilderness? You know, what's significant about it? You know, and how Mashiach, before he does anything, as far as doing the first steps of bringing the redemption, it starts off in the wilderness, just kind of like for us, our redemption to the world, because we were supposed to be Mashiach to the world, but then we had the golden calf and it was just like, well, guess uh, we'll move that over. But anyway, um, we were supposed to start that same way. And how can we bring salvation to the world if we can't bring salvation to our own self? Really is, is kind of the underlying statement here. And... Uh, when I was podcasting with Hasis for the Haftarah, one of the coolest things that he said was, you really know what you rely on when you're in your hardest time. Like if you're going through a really hard situation or a hard circumstance, what you do in that moment really shows where you're placing your trust. Mm -hmm. You know, and so there is no place harder, I would imagine, than the wilderness, you know, in the desert. You know, there are probably some close seconds or maybe even first beyond that, um, maybe like the bottom of the ocean because can't breathe down there. But if you're in the wilderness, no light, no water, you know, you're out there, all the animals, wild beasts. It's like, so what are you going to do? <laughs> it seems like your provisions ran out. You only have one change of clothes and you don't have a place to stay. Do you trust me? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, Hashem. You only uh, saved me out of Egypt, which no nation ever came out of Egypt. Not not uh, not even a single person came out of Egypt. Well, it's also like no slave was even ever let free before that. Yeah, it was the first time like slaves actually freed them, seemingly freed themselves. You know, but obviously it was a shame. Man. Zarki was talking today about how Moshe had the ability to to see somebody's future. So when it said he was talking about how he killed him, the the guards with the name of Hashem, mm -hmm. and he said, oh, he looked around. He was actually looking around at that guy's future to see if anybody of worth was going to come from his lineage in the future. Wow. And when he saw that there was nobody that was going to be great coming from his lineage, that's when he decided to go ahead and. Use the name of Hashem to kill him. Wow. Wow. Ridiculous. I'm gonna have to do this. If I can. <laughs> <laughs>
get my bearings. Should time allow, I want to share something that's absolutely ridiculous with y'all that I just got to read earlier today. That's a nice diagram. Yeah. That's better than the one in the Midgard Come on. Is it set for the camps? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We got a little more page real estate. Yeah. <laughs> children's room? No. Just one. Which oh, one? Over there. Keep going somewhere. Okay. Which one? Did I get it from the children's room? I was like, no. This is the little medrash set. Yeah, it's the little medrash set. <laughs> this is, this is, I got, I got pushed, I got pushed in the mouth when I opened up the Zohar, so I said, I'm just going to go back over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm taking my toys and I'm going over here. <laughs> Be like that. I can't believe we're already like Shabbat is this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, it's so fast. Town flies when you're having fun. Need some more table space? No. Yeah, I'll, I'll stack it up. Yeah, he's, but that'd be dangerous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> pictures. That's it. One word at a time. <laughs> oh, one of the other cool things that I, I know I never realized this before, but when we say Baruch Atah, mm -hmm. so Atah is Olive Tav Hey, mm -hmm. like literally like the Olive Tav with the Shekinah, but it's, it's literally next to in every bracha, but it up right next to Shem, like Hashem's divine name. And, uh, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right right there. There. yeah. He's like, like, get out. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? And Alana Nava was saying that, that Ata is actually the essence of the hay in Hashem's name. <laughs> so. Wow. Well, all right then. So that, that makes me think of something that I was uh, just kind of sharing some insights. And I was talking about how we have to confess and make teshuva with our mouth and, and everything that we do and that we believe. And literally every bracha we say, we're literally confessing our salvation. You know, when you really think about it. Yeah. Because when you say Baruch, you're saying grafted in and bending the knee. 
because the word Baruch comes from Barek, which is all about the knee and the bending, and it's also a uh, agricultural term for grafting in. And then you say grafted into the Shekinah and the Aleph Tav, literally attached to Hashem. Which you could say Torah, Yeshua, Yes. Yes. (laughs) So like literally with every bracha that we're doing, we're like renewing our salvation. So. Okay, so I found it. Uh, This is from, I call him Shona Pincus. But it's Shavile Pincus, and he wanted to comment on Shabbat this week. So uh, if y'all will let me have a moment here. I feel like I've had the whole moment so far, so interrupt me at any time. Um, this year he wanted to talk about what actually transpired in Hashemayim for Moshe to get the Torah. So one of the things about the uh, the Torah being something we don't need to really worry about or something that's done away with why, why any of this would come up clearly there's not an understanding of what it took to get it and why we got it and the, the central thing behind it so uh, in Shabbat 88b it says this when Moshe ascended I'm recording when Moshe ascended to the heights, the ministering angels said to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Master of the Universe, what is someone born of a woman doing amongst us? He replied, He has come to receive the Torah. They said to him, The coveted treasure that was stored before you for 974 generations before the world was created, you intend to give to flesh and blood? What is mortal that you should remember him or the son of man that you should recall him? That is from Tehillim chapter 8. So this all happens, right? So the angels get all turned up and they're ready to take Moshe out. Angels, you know, their voice sounds like rushing waters. They're like years tall. Literally, that's how the Talmud explains how tall they are. Yeah, it's like 550 <laughs> parasangs. You're just like, like, wait, super what? gigantic. It's like, what's a parasang? It's, it's so long. I forgot what it. I forgot what it. I forgot what it was. That's the correct answer. But it's <laughs> it's like for real. Like it's like an extreme measurement. Let's see. I got a uh, Torah. So they were extra large. Is that what you're saying? They were huge. They're not just. They're not just. Like he said something about. Like I think Moshe says when he saw them that. I don't know how he knew this. I, I, the only thing I can say is I guess he did it. But he said that it would take a, a man 500 years to to cross them. Like, like to I guess, go up them and come down or something. I don't know. Man. So it's just like super long. Super tall. Um, mm-hmm. I'll try to find it. But it's, it's in the same thing, I think, when he goes into Shemai, when Moshe steps into Shemai. Yo, I think... Uh, Parasang is a length, should be, but it might be an area. I found a parsa, but I'm not sure that's parasa, something like that. It's, is it that one? I think it was. If that's the case, then one one parasang or one parsa is 2.18 miles. So. And how many of those total were there? Like 550 or something like that. Or like a thousand miles. Yeah. 
It's about the, oh, about the size of continental U.S. I mean, that's standing up. Take the U.S. and stand it up. The U.S. is a little bit longer than that, but, but right it's about, about the size of Texas, at least. Oh, okay. A thousand yeah, miles. There you go. A thousand miles. Across. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't even like driving a mile, but, you know. Okay, so when you get that, I'll just, find it. just I'll jump find it. in. Okay, so with this being the case, the first thing out the gate, Hashem says to Moshe this phrase, Ve-chazur lehen teshuva. That translates to grab a hold. Oh, Slika, I forgot the first part. Achuz ve-kise kavodi. Now ve-chazur lahen teshuva. That whole phrase together is grab on to my kise hakavod and provide them with a teshuva, which is the word for answer. The way to answer the angels is to answer them with teshuva. Only through teshuva he goes on to come in later saying, that's how Zadokim rank higher than angels. Mm. Angels cannot make teshuva, but Zadokim can. Also, Let's connect some dots here. It says that a Baal Shuva stands in a place where a Zadik cannot, cannot even stand. Okay, so if you have a Zadik who's on a higher level than an angel, but then you have a Baal Shuva who's on a higher level than a Zadik, what's that really saying about converts? Okay, so that's ridiculous. Amazing. <laughs> if you can actually reach that level. Right. Yeah. The closer you get to it, the more you have you realize how far away you are. Yeah. Come on, right? Okay, so Yoma 86a, the power of Teshuva is so great that it reaches up to the Kisei HaKavod. This then is the implication of Hashem's advice to Moshe, grab onto my Kisei HaKavod and provide them with a Teshuva. Here the word teshuva does not merely mean provide them with an answer. It implies Moshe should reveal to the Malachim the amazing power of teshuva. When Yisrael performed teshuva, they can rectify all wrongdoing. For as we learn from the Gemara, teshuva ascends to the Kisei HaKavod. So... If that wasn't crazy enough, there are the four chayot that surround the throne, right? Ezekiel chapter 1, we see them carrying the throne, right? Okay, so just a quick side note for Parshat Bamibar, that's why we're in four divisions as the children of Israel, is because each division of three tribes represent the four chayot that surround the throne of Hashem. So... With that being said, it says uh, Chagiga 13b expounds on the Pasuk Daniel 7.10. A river of fire was flowing forth before him, i.e. from before the Kisei HaKavod. This prompts the Gemara to ask, where does it originate from? What is the source of this river of fire? Okay, y'all. Check this out. This blew me away. Hopefully, it'll do the same for you. 
From the sweat of the coyote. Say that again. What? From the sweat of the coyote. The four coyote that surround the throne of, of Hashem, they sweat and it causes a river of fire to go forth. Okay, it continues. There is a prestigious group of heavenly angels known as the Chayot HaKodesh, which literally means beasts of the holy realm. This name reflects the fact that they were created in the images of beasts. We have the lion, we have the ox, we have the eagle, and a cherub. They were assigned the prestigious task of carrying the Kisei HaKavod, upon which Hashem, so to sit, or so to speak, sits. Due to their immense fear of Hashem, they would perspire. Their perspiration formed the river of fire. That's talked about in Daniel 7.10. And where does this river go? It goes straight to Gehenna, where it's poured out on the heads of the wicked. So the fire punishment that's happening in Gehenna is coming from the Chayot, who are perspiring before Hashem because they have so much yira of Hashem. Okay, so that's that's one. Okay, now number two, the 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 uh, chayot can also sweat from ahava Hashem, which by the way, there's two ways to serve Hashem, right? Yira ve'ahava and fear and love to unify the name, right? So. Uh, a little swerve real quick. Bereshit Rabbah 19.7. The whole sweat of your brow from uh, Bereshit 3.19. Because we sinned, right? Because of that, it says, um, They heard the sound of Hashem, Elohim, walking in the garden towards the direction of the sun. Going is not written there, but rather walking. Hence, it refers to Hashem and not the sound. This indicates that he jumped up and ascended. Previously, the Shekinah dwelled primarily with the inhabitants below. And after Adam HaRishon sinned, the Shekinah went to the first level of Hashemayim. So because of the sweat of the brow, it actually was a Mita Kineget Mita to the heavenly creatures around the throne who never sweated before. And now because of our sin, and now we work by the sweat of our brow, now because of that, we cause them to work by the sweat of their brow. Because our sin creates a blemish up there. That's why the whole bracha about uh, returning to Hashem, make right the blemishes I've caused in the higher worlds and in the names. So it says that uh, he would sweat in order to feed his family. And uh, it says, so when we, when we sin, that our anguish causes the Kisei HaKavod to be heavier as a burden for the coyote to bear. And as a result of their increased labor, they sweat profusely. And the river of fire is generated to punish the, the wicked ones. So that's Yira and that's sin. But if we do Ahava, it says that it causes the coyote, and I'm just going to cliff note because it's like six pages worth of stuff. But it causes the coyote to have so much fervency and so much joy that they sweat. So it's not from the Kisei Hakabo being heavy, but it's because they're like so excited now. They're like jumping up and down, kind of like a person who's like playing basketball. And they're like, man, I can't wait to slam dunk this thing. You know, they're all hype. And so they get like that. 
and then they cause a different river to flow from them that's a mikvah that actually purifies the zadikim below. So the same river that could come down and be a scorching river of fire and judgment for wicked ones, through teshuva, through walking in uh, righteousness, we actually cause that to be reversed and a flow of purification comes down. So, anyway, that's all in showing up Pinkus this week. And I I mean, I didn't know what to do with that. So, so here. <laughs> here you go. Okay, now I can go back to my book over here. Thank y'all for letting me share that. Thank you. That is available. I can share that with y'all if y'all want to have it uh, for your reading pleasures. Because the whole thing is a is a Shava Oat drop. Like, just ridiculous. Mm. Receiving the Torah. Show them. <clears throat> Do you want me to send it to you? Please. Okay. Thank you. about the book? Huh? Any information about that book? No, the the whole uh, pinkest drop that I just oh. read. Is that a you're interested too? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm a little interested. So like, I come up here sort of like being a little kid in the candy store. You see something new and you go, mm. I got a new phone, so sometimes I have people's number and sometimes I don't. So if you'll type that in for me, please. Can you have a moment? There you go. Oh, that works too. Put our emails on there too. Oh, good. Feel free to jump in at any time. Well, just to talk about the, the encampments again, but this is whenever they uh, took Yako's body to bury, they encamped the same way they did in the wilderness. 
so they were taking the coffin and they were all surrounded around the alcove just like they were around the tabernacle. <laughs> wow. The order of the marching, you mean? Yeah, like, mm. so whenever, whenever they were, uh, Yaakov told, there's really, Rabbi, I think Rabbi brought it up this week too, that, that the only two brothers that didn't carry Yaakov's coffin was Yosef, because he was the king, and Levi, because he was the, he was the priest. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing about, like, the king and priest should, shouldn't divide themselves with the Parsha more. Yeah. <laughs> really back to that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, it's like when I tell somebody, just hang on and charge along. They come back and go, wow. And there's more? And I said, yeah. You don't stop. Mm-hmm. So everybody thinks they're just the five books, you know, the five books. Until I see this book commentary so you know here's the verses and here's all the commentary yeah there's so many books you know and they (laughs) I have ministers and pastors that occasionally come across (laughs) and they open the book and start reading it and they take a picture of it I would too you know because they're telling me I didn't I didn't receive this in seminary Hmm. so you should have absolutely not that's what Yeshua taught this is him right here, and here, and here. And all the rest of them I got in the truck. Yep. He says, is that all of them? I said, no, that take a semi with a 40-foot truck. At least. I'd like to have all of them, it'd be nice. But... I mean, it may be so. <laughs> It'll be kind of hard. I have to learn to drive a semi then. I did have a CDL one time, though. <laughs> I'm just saying. It says the Medrash. What you reading from? The little Medrash says. It says, how did each Shevet know where its camp ended? So how did each tribe know where its camp ended? How? A wonderful water-giving rock accompanied the Israel in the desert. It was known as the Well of Miriam because it gave forth water in the merit of the Sadeket Miriam, Moses' sister. <laughs> Whenever B'nai Israel prepared to camp, the twelve Nesayim arose and sang a song of praise to Hashem. They caused the water of that wonderful rock to gush forth and to form streams. One stream surrounded the the camp of the Shekinah so that everyone knew where that camp ended. Another stream marked the boundary of the camp of the Leviim and the third, the camp of, of Israel. Smaller ridges branched out from these main streams and marked the borderline between each Shevet in between one family and another. So something like provides every man with his sustenance. Really? The water of the well of Miriam caused grass and trees to spring up at the riverbanks. The trees grew, grew delicious fruits which had the taste of the Olam Hubba. Really? <laughs> okay. Could you just imagine what Olam Hubba tastes like? I love how you're just so calmly reading this. I'd be like, what am I reading right now? Well, that's what, that's what I went in when I first read it. <laughs> on the inside, that's what I was doing. So I was like, okay, I got to yeah. I got to say this now. I got to put on my face, my game face. Yeah.
Well, y'all ready to pull some letters out? Okay, so we're gonna pull out Paul's letters. Okay, here we go. Paul session. Call it a uh, politics. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> not to get. I'm a Paul. Poli- oh wow! About to get political. You about to get polished? Yeah, I'm gonna polish up on some insights. Okay, so. <laughs> First thing is, you know, in Bombing Bar, we're all, like all encamped by family. We got our tribes and different things like that. So the Jewish wisdom in the numbers, this does not sound like a Paul drop, I know. But Jewish wisdom in the numbers, there's 12 tribes because there are 12 pathways to service to Hashem. Rabbi Ali Aliyah a day today talked about this little, like, uh, what do we call it? Drive-by insight that there are 12 ways of atonement that are specific to each tribe that one can experience from Hashem. Mm -hmm. So there's a path of atonement that only comes through Dan. There's a path of atonement that only comes through Yehuda and so on and so forth Mm -hmm. for each tribe. And so, uh, so yeah, so anyway, he brought that up. So when you really think about what's actually going on and the fact that the tribes have to be arranged in a certain uh, format and a certain pattern and there's different marching orders, that makes me think of the body of many members and how we all have our talents and we all have our gifts. So from this wonderful sefer called Touched by the Parsha, it's from Art Scroll. Makes me think of uh, Lifetime movies. But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> it says, By the bear Adonai Moshe, Bamidbar Sinai, Beohel Moed, Beechad Lakodesh, Hasheni, Bashana Hashenis Lezetem Eretz Mitzrayim Lemor, Bami Bar 1 1. And it says, As the Slonomer Rebbe explains in Torah's Avos, Hashem counted B'nai Israel like a king who counts his subjects to remind them of their subservience to him. There is no Yid without a specific job and purpose. All have been inducted into the king's army to serve Hashem. Now, as I leave it there, I want to also bring in, as I go to the letters here, that uh, last year I got to do a podcast with Mikael uh, on Parashat Bamibar, and it's ridiculous. I shared it a few days ago. I re-listened to it this year. It's amazing. Yeah, so I had to repost it that it was so ridiculous. One of the many things he said in there was that what is going on in the wilderness? What's going on in the desert? Because you got the children of Israel seeing angels and banners. What, where, where is this like? Why is this all happening? And he said that when we were brought forth out of Mitzrayim, the angels were also brought forth out of Mitzrayim. This is why we're called Zephaam of Hashem. That whole thing... Uh, Free my legions so they can come out and worship me. So that whole thing. So the angels were literally in exile too. And so you got Israel in exile, angels in exile, Hashem, Shekinah in exile. And it's just like, okay, everybody coming home. But first, we got to go to the desert. So with that all being said, as we are legions, that means we're subservient to a king. And our king has given us duties that we must perform. And they come in 12 different flavors. Uh, with a whole bunch of subcategories. So, why do Yeshua have to have 12 Talmudim? Now we know. 
Okay, and then it says, okay, so first up, a garret to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 4. For just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Mashiach, which by the way, Mashiach, Gematria 358, is the same Gematria for Choshen, which is breastplate, which when you look at the picture in the diagram of how the camps were uh, encamped around the tabernacle, it was like a breastplate. So literally the tribes in the wilderness were in Mashiach because they were in the breastplate formation, which has the same mantra as Mashiach from a birth of But so it says, so in Mashiach, like literally in the camp of tribes, understanding our roles, we who are many are one body and each member belongs to one another. Let's go to Corinth chapter 12, verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is comprised of many parts. And although its parts are many, they all form one body. So it is with Mashiach. Uh, let's go to Ephesus, chapter 4, verse 4. There is one body, one Ruach, just as you were called to one Tikva, one hope, when you were called. Skip down to verse 16. From him, the whole body is fitted and held together by every supporting ligament. As each individual part does its work, the body grows and builds itself up in love. Mm -hmm. And think about that now. Anytime we do anything in love, our picture of the coyote, you know, causing the sweat that will bring forth the river of purity, purification on us. So when you really look at this, this kind of helps with how is it that Hashem can have so many different manifestations and they all be a God? And how can the rock be Mashiach, but Mashiach be Mashiach, but Mashiach be the Torah and still be Mashiach. And then Mashiach also be the Shekinah and then also be Memtet and then be also the word that's written on the tablets, but then also the words written on the Torah scroll. Then he can also be the Torah scroll and then he can also be the resurrected Mashiach ben David, as well as at the same time Mashiach ben Yosef. Making sense? And we can grow up into the stature of Messiah. And it... Right. Because yeah. it's like, there's so many. There's all these different parts. There's all these different ligaments and connecting. By the way, the word hope, tikva, comes from the word, uh, I forget what the root word is in Hebrew, but the definition is cord. So it's one cord that's going through everything and holding it all together. Kind of like that center bar that goes around the Mishkan that holds the whole Mishkan together. Remember the center bar back from, I think it was Teruma or Tadavi? Yeah. So when you really think about what's actually going on, if you don't understand Jewish thinking, it's going to be really hard to say Mashiach is, uh, if, you, if you're a non-Jewish thinker, it's going to be hard to say Mashiach is, is just a man and and to like move away from him being divine so you'll have an easier time with him being a man and then know that okay so now we can separate him out there can be a father there can be a holy spirit there can be like the word of god and then the shekinah of god and it's like that's all different and they're not connected and it's many you know trinitarian thought 
But if you get back into the actual context of what Hashem laid out to us and what Jewish thought is, when you understand Hashem Echad, now you can understand how it can be many manifestations, but one, because we just learned this is the body of Messiah. He holds all of us together. He holds all 12 tribes, just like the breastplate. It held 12 stones. Yaakov laid his head on 12 stones and it became one stone. And that's the stone that he anointed, by the way, with heavenly oil and said, upon this rock, you know, I'll come back and I'll build a temple and pay my tithes and all that. On this rock, I will build my ecclesia. Yeah. Wow. Which we know is Kahal, which is yes. what the children of Israel were called in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Wow. So just connect <laughs> some dots there. I continue to be very baffled that Rabbi has to continue to say Mashiach's divine. Mashiach is divine. Oh yeah, Mashiach's divine. Uh, Mashiach's divine. Yeah, he was born of a virgin and Mashiach's divine. And it's just like, do we really have to say this? And it's like, yeah, we do. There's so much spiritual darkness in the world that these concepts are just, no, it's not even a thing, you know? And I'm kind of like, Wow, is it really that bad? And it's like, well, there are 18 genders, maybe, at least. And it's just like, how do you get 18 out of 2? Somehow, <laughs> you know. So anyway. It's interesting because the whole Messiah could just be a man is trying to, their argument is trying to preserve the echadness of Hashem. Mm. You know, and but it's actually defeating it because yep. the providence of Hashem is that he he manifests how he wants to, right. but it's all him at will. Yeah. And well, I mean, we just heard it from the what you this the little midrash you said mm-hmm. that there's a rock that gave forth rivers of water to give the the divisions of the encampments like. Really, that's how we're gonna mark our territory. Okay, your your little portion ends here where the river starts, and enjoy some fruit while you're at the edge of your property. <laughs> no wonder you know people want to retire and like go to the beachfront. It's like, oh, you really want to be in the clouds of glory, don't you? One day we will be, but until then, we must fight. for this bar show this week? I have not. You know what's going to be? I can look it up. I don't know. I've been feeling like Tehillim and Proverbs lately. to go y'all
122. There's gonna be a. Uh... I'm Shehamalot le David Samachti. The Jew in exile reminisces. Hmm. I got your support. Talmud teaches that the temple in Yerushalayim was configured facing the temple in Hashemayim. One who entered the earthly temple also entered the heavenly one. The sacrifice offered below was if offered above. Similarly, the earthly Yerushalayim is aligned with the heavenly Yerushalayim. The book of Hebrews. Wow. Let's bring that up. See, that's what I love about Jewish commentary because like without even getting into the Tehillim there's already just so much right, right there hey I have a set just like that you have a what? it's a minor green this oh. one's green it's got the white cover on it. Yeah, it's just got a white cover on it. Okay, so this Hebrew <laughs> drop is my my like one of my most favorite drops ever. Because uh, before I converted, I was on this whole kick of like being consumed in the fire of God, and it's like, <laughs> you want the Torah? <laughs> oh, really? Put them all together, huh? That's what that's what it's doing. <laughs> so, uh, but I got it from this chapter of Hebrews. When you go to 12, 28, 29, it talks about having this fear and awe of God. And our God is a consuming fire. So, this heavenly Jerusalem drop does come from the Hebrews uh, chapter 12 also. You can start dropping in anytime you're ready. You want me to drop from 122 or from? Yes. Okay. So this psalm describes the glory of Jerusalem of old. As a city, it, it was different from all the others. Generally, cities are no more than clusters of buildings where masses of people settle, to, settle together for the sake of security or commercial convenience. As the urban multitude increases, the significance and value of the individual decreases. As the individual grows ever more dependent upon the services and the society of the masses, his personal stature is diminished. For his own worth and personal ability has less, less effect in society. This situation breeds friction and animosity in the, metro, in, in the metropolis and polarizes its citizens. This was not the case in Jerusalem. There, every Jew experienced a personal encounter with God. This encounter was a dramatic 
revelation, which demonstrated to each and every man the special divine nature of his soul. The crowds of pilgrims which converged upon the city enhanced this realization of individuality and did not detract from it at all. For just as no two faces are alike, no two minds are alike. Brachot 58a. Every additional pilgrim who arrived in the city gave further evidence of the diversity and the uniqueness of God's creatures. Thus the proliferation of the masses heightened the individual's self-esteem and lifted his spirits. This fostered brotherhood and unity in Jerusalem, which came to be known as the City of Peace, the city that is united together. City of Peace. Which I think is amazing since we want world peace. Ultimately, under all of the corruption and destruction that's going out in the world, it's a cry for peace. And the craziest thing is if we just submit to Hashem, it can happen. It's like, no, I'll figure it out. I, I can do this. And it's like, nope, that's not good. Well, I can do this over here. And I can put that with this. And it's like, okay, you made it like 10 times worse. <laughs> and then you keep like making all these things. It's like, Shema Israel, Like waving at you, you know. Hey, over here. So one of the uh, insights on Telling 122 is about standing and waiting at the gates. Because, you know, you get into Jerusalem through the gates of the, uh, the tribes, the encampments, you know. And so when you're waiting at the gate, Shalom. It says uh, we had to wait there because there were so many people. And this verse is connected to how your feet will stand firm when you're at war. And it's like, how can you stand firm while you're at war? It says, because of those occupied in Torah. So if you occupy yourself in Torah, it firms your feet so that you can stand in war. So, what did you got? No, it just says um, that this, that this Tehillim is a, it refers to the third and final temple which will be built through the efforts of Mashiach. This is a third temple song? That's what it says. Well, it's a good thing we're praying for it. The word for gathered is Shehurba or Shehubra, which contains the root Haver, which I want to bring up, Avengers shall we say. Uh, by the way, I was uh, listening. I call him Rabbi GQ now, but it's uh, Rabbi Greenbaum. I used to call him Rabbi G-Baum because, I mean, he just, anything he says, it's like so peaceful. And he's like, like, why did you do that to me? But anyway, so because of his style now, I call him that. He was doing like a five minute short about apparently there's a new uh, social site because everybody's tired of Facebook and it's called Havarim. What? Havarim. Yeah. What? And so it's a whole site that's devoted to people who are Torah pursuers. Whether they're converts, whether they're orthodoxy, whether they're just like, I'm interested in Torah, but I have no idea if I'm going to like really do it. But I'll listen to some teachings. Like, and it's got like all these different things. And when you sign up for it, I try to sign up, but it ain't working. I don't know what's wrong. 
whenever I have technological issues, that's a problem. But anyway, I will die, not digress, even though I have. But anyway, uh, so <laughs> you sign up and you have to choose like whatever you want to do. And it's like, I love Torah, I want a study group, or da 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 da. And so he's like talking about this, right? And he's like, because we got to take Torah to the nations. And I'm like, what are you? What? Are they, do they know you're talking about this? Because he's from Jerusalem. Like, he's in Jerusalem. But anyway, um, and he's not Messianic, by the way. So, uh, he said this one statement. He goes, so, you know, this all started at Mount Horeb. Because Mount Horeb contains the same word as Haver. So, it's Mount Haver, which is Mount Sinai. So, I'm like... Come on, man. Seriously? So when you rearrange the letters of Horev, you get Haver, which you also have the word Cherev, which is the word for sword. Okay. So when you think about all that with this, it says this word for gathering contains the word Haver. And we talk about Avengers. It means friend, but it can refer to a Torah scholar. Generally, not all Jews were trusted in matters of ritual purity and teruma. However, during the three pilgrimage festivals, when all Yisrael gathered in Yerushalayim, all kol were trusted as if they were Torah scholars. This obviously fostered a feeling of friendship, just a little bit, among the people. Homiletically, the Talmudic statement is interpreted that the city that turned all Yisrael into friends. So anyway, the, the Mount Sinai turned all Yisrael into friends. And it's also the place where we were given the sword of the spirit, I might add, which was like making itself a home away from home because at Mount Sinai in the clouds of glory, receiving the Torah is exactly what we get to experience when we go to Yerushalayim for the three pilgrimage festivals. So. Can I add to that? Yes, you may. It says... Talking about the immobile stood our feet within the gates of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. That's right. So the verse introduces the dual natures of Jerusalem's sanctity. Jerusalem is the point on earth where heaven and heaven and earth meet in the spiritual sense. Kiddushin 69a. All heavenly blessings are sent to earth via Jerusalem, whence they spread out over the rest of the world. The celestial source of blessing is known as Yerushalayim Shel Ma'ala. Jerusalem above? Yes, the upper heavenly Jerusalem. Because it corresponds to Yerushalayim Shel Mata, <laughs> the lower below. earthly Jerusalem. Thus, the gates of earthly Jer Jerusalem were opened wide to receive the sacred influence generated by the heavenly Jerusalem above. While our feet stood within your gates below, our souls basked in the spirit of Jerusalem above. Really? Really? My head's wearing the clouds. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so is that like we were like dreamers? Like walking in there? 
Our mouths were filled with laughter. After. <laughs> so we've already experienced it now then? What are you saying? That we've already partaken of it to an extent? Uh, I guess, yeah. Well, I know that when they first talked about this, they were saying that it was referring to the third temple, but but that it also, the other uh, part of it was that it just referred to the temple in general. So I guess, like, in, in a way, this was fulfilled, like, when they would go to the temple, this is what they experienced. You know? Yeah. What were you thinking? Oh, just because uh, in uh, Hebrews 12, where he's saying you have come to uh, to the Jerusalem above. Uh, ah. And, uh, come on. He's referring to it as like something that's already spiritually real. You're already there in, in Messiah as you're seated in him right now. You're already wow. partaking of it in a, in a measure. Mm, like a 160th, maybe? Yeah, yeah. At least that's, that's, like the, that's, yeah. the, that's the measure for most everything. Well, I mean, I'm getting chills thinking about this because if you really think about what's actually going on here, like here, SR Shalom, what's going on in Lapide? Nowhere on earth that we know of at the moment is this happening. To me, I literally... I literally was like at work and people thought like, boy, you on happy pills. Cause I'm thinking about Shabbat coming up. I'm thinking about like all the droshes that, are, that I've been a part of. I just been on a reminisce kick because <laughs> I'm realizing I've, I've been over a year on anchor alone podcasting. And I was two years before on uh, SoundCloud, but looking back through my anchor podcast, I'm like, wow, so much stuff and so much like collaborations and like, and then I'm like, but man, but seriously, like all these insights, are you serious? And they're all centered around Yeshua. Like where else are Jews able to go where they don't have to give up their Judaism and keep their faith in Yeshua? It's amazing. Oh, you mean like the disciples did? Yeah. Oh, well, how man, that feels how like so first actually what ago. they did. Right. And people say, uh, where do you go, Sharslam? Oh, they try to convert people. I said, oh, you mean like the disciples? And they just stand there looking at me and say, would you like me to explain that? And they do, and they just kind of stand there with their mouths open. And they go, you "You didn't think about that, did you? And they said, no. Wow. But when you actually think about, like, are they trying to convert you? Like, they look at it as like a bad thing. It's like, no, if you knew why we wanted to convert you, you would want to convert. <laughs> There's this thing called Hala. Yeah. <laughs> There's a thing called Olam Haba that you need to get, a, get to be, into. <laughs> be actually like the real disciples, what they actually did, instead of what people think they did. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. Because of all the misinformation. Come on. Okay. So it says, Ibn Yahya notes that the true height of a great metropolis is determined by the spiritual nature of its inhabitants. Jerusalem was blessed with a wealth of devout Torah scholars who raised her spiritual level to the loftiest plane. The prophet Isaiah 54.13 accurately describes the invaluable contribution these scholars made to the city when they referred to them as Banecha, your sons, an expression that Talmud relates, Bonechia, your builders. Mm. See Shabbat 114a. Rabbi Yochanan describes Torah scholars as 
Boanim master builders because they dedicate their entire life to Boneno Shel Olam, construction of the universe. Because, be, because the merit of the Torah study perpetuates the existence of the entire world. Son, really? Can you go back and just say that again? Constructing the universe? And it says uh, Rabbi Yochanan describes Torah scholars as master builders because they dedicate their entire life to the construction of the universe. Because the merit of their Torah study perpetuates the existence of the entire world. The world stands on three pillars. <laughs> That's right. Mm. <laughs> My goodness. Are you okay down there? Yeah, she likes it crazy. <laughs> she likes it crazy. You can tell. Yay. Huh? Man. <laughs> That's another thing Mikael said in uh, the podcast from last year. He said... Uh, the secrets of the universe are in Parsha Bobby Bar. But, yeah, he said that. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> That's right. Get you some. I mean, if it's, if it's counting Israel, no. They'll say that one person is like a universe. Yes. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gonna count everybody. I mean, that's just everything. <laughs> I think she wants to turn. Go ahead. Do your thing. What you got? What's your source? <laughs> She's like, seriously, you're gonna ask me about I just learned this, like, not even two years ago. Right, right, right. Amniotic fluid. Yeah. 12 yeah, right. <laughs> I got an uncle as the Shafir. <laughs> <laughs> Call me out on the sword. So when you when talk about the word for count, it literally is the word for what we use for Sephirat Haomer. Sephirat, yep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it means to polish or to shine. Interesting. And then the. T- yep. Can you drop that thing on the sapphire tablets, please? So, yeah. So I've been thinking this whole time that the sapphire tablets were actually like the color of sapphire, but like it's really just a uh, lost in translation description of what the tablets actually were. So I always had these like blue cubes like in my head, like this is what I thought. Mm-hmm. But it's like none of that because the word sapphire, sapphire actually means to shine, to like radiate, emanate, and so like it literally was like tablets of light. <laughs> and so when you think about when you think about what his, you know, the what Moshe was bringing down, it was a bunch of light. You know, like <laughs> wow. John one, the light of the world. Come on. Come the light that came forth out of the darkness. Yeah, it shines. Which represents both the Yeshua and the Torah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so think about that, right? So, again, touch from the Parsha. 
It says, so the mitzvah to count the Jewish people is Bemispar Shemot. Saper. Yep. And it says that this root can refer to something that is shining. As in the word Sapir, which is sapphire. Every person is unique. Everyone has his own contribution to make to and for the Jewish people. Each of us has the ability and the responsibility to shine. The responsibility. The responsibility. Matthew 5? See, there's this thing of, like, ambition. Like, it could be a good thing or it can be a bad thing, but you actually need to be a little ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. Nedzok, right? We've been counting Nedzok, right? Yes. Well, I mean, not this week. Yeah, we right. Well, we, we, we counted did. it. Yeah. We did, yeah. We, we, we actually we counted sh- Nedzak last night, actually. Nedzak, uh Shev Maku. Mm-hmm. Or, no, that, what was that? No. Two. Yeah. One was Teferi. Teferi was 45. What did we Nedzak count last night? Nedzak was 44. Man. Good thing we do this daily, because... <laughs> <laughs> what was my over I counted? I don't remember. I counted it though, right? It's just like, okay, so. Yeah, we did. It was Netzach. So, the reason why is because I, I literally finished the Hopter podcast and I was feeling like real, like, like, Spartans, prepare for glory. Or like, Yerushalayim, like, just going like to town, like crazy. And it was just like, oh, it's Netzach night. Okay, no wonder, you know? And it's yeah. just like this very, like, Hoorah! Like, we're going to do this. Give me my sword. Like, let's go. Kind of thing. But, yeah, that's Saphir. That's, like, that's what we have to do. We have to shine. We have to have the ambition to do so. Which, one doesn't have to look very far to see how that negatively plays out by looking at tabloids. Hollywood. Drama. One of the coolest things that uh, Torah allows us is to see the inverse of what's uh, what's uh, what is it? Popularized. What's possible? Oh, yeah, possible. yeah. What's possible? Because if you look at the depravity that's going on in Hollywood, what's popular, that shows us how much potential we have and what's actually possible in kedusha. Like, what we have the potential to bring down is, like, the opposite of what we see. So as much as this drama, as much as this corruption, like, I'm going to shine, I'm going to be rich, the world's going to love me kind of thing, you know, it's like, okay, so bring that over to the side of holiness, you know, because what does that look like on this side? That the way to shine, the way to make the world love you is to do it together. As Kol Echad, with Shema Yisrael, feel the spirit of Hashem. Because if you think about all of Israel containing the light that Moshe brought down the mountain, that's a city on a hill. A lamp on a stand, giving light to the room, light to the table. Remember, the world is a room. It's a room of Hashem. So that's how we do it. Which... Again, I mean, I keep, I keep bringing it up, but I mean, it's just such a cool concept. It's no coincidence that we came up with Avengers and that it's all of us being superheroes together. 
And that's where our strength comes from, is us doing it together. Specialization and unity. Yes. you got to know what you're good at and do it well together. Yeah. And that is our time. Uh, anybody got any last thing they want to say before we end it? Okay, so uh, just as a heads up, I think this is the last toy of Basora class until conversion classes pick back up. I, I think. Because I haven't talked to Couture, but I know we run this class with the conversion classes. So uh, I think the next thing up is the family fun night at main event. So as the summer rolls out and everything, we'll obviously get that back with scheduling and how that works. So. It's been fun, so Talarabah to each of you for all of your violent, amazing insights. And may each of you have a blessed Shavuot, a blessed rest of your week. And continue to count these omers so that we can be ready to shine like lights in the nighttime sky. What do we know? What do we know? Baruch atzadonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natan lanu torat emet Vechaye olam natan betokhinu Baruch atzadonai Noten ha Torah Amen Amen, lalatu